Hey, this is James Dowd, host of the Creative Work Entitled Podcast. Got a couple things different with this episode. First off, you'll hear some new music that was made by our resident musician, Adam Chambers. He thought the episodes were boring, so he wanted to make some music for us. And then the other thing that's different this episode is the audio quality is going to be a little different. That's because I screwed up the mic setups last time. And what are you guys doing here? Making an intro? <laughs> And those voices interrupting us are actually the guests of this next episode, Jake and Corey. They are hilarious, uh, except for this commentary that they're providing right now to me. So enjoy. Sorry for the uh, bad audio. Nice. I just started the audio, and also I burped, so that'll be good. All right. Cool. They, so, don't, they don't have to start at the same time. I'll have to figure that out later. Yeah. <laughs> we can both, I can count down from three starting now. Three, two, one, and then you should hear it in there, and then. Perfect. We'll make a lot of noise. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll figure it out later. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the podcast is just three, two, one, caca. <laughs> and then just you saying yeah and multiple. Perfect. All right. I think all that's right. a good intro. Yeah, that's our intro. Um, so I hope all the fancy mic setup works. This is the first time I've ever tried to do three mics. If not, uh, we'll record again another day. Uh, so, Corey, Jake, I, I assume you've listened to an episode. Yeah, I've listened to many episodes. I nice. Yeah. Two episodes. Appreciate good. that. So you know the premise is most people don't have context when they came in here mm. that's how the whole thing started was i had a morning open so i started interviewing people but it's all around creativity wherever the conversation takes us uh so the reason i wanted you guys together is because you have weird creative minds that could take us anywhere today and so i'm just going to sit back and watch that happen really yeah okay. <laughs> i very much agree that we can we can take things to be very weird um cory and i were literally just walking here um a few minutes ago and we were walking outside and Corey saw a woman in her car who she he thought that she was eating a bowl of cereal which that's, really, like, that's what it looked like it, yeah it would be really weird to eat cereal in your car because cereal cereal is like a very um it's a very serious food to eat mobily like you can't really do it well and you look like you're in a cereal eating mood when you're doing it right it's very solitary it's like a very stationary yeah. food and it gets well, it's everywhere. For splashing in the milk right? yeah it gets need, everywhere yeah you need like a surface to put it on it's not portable right. well i think it is portable you just have to be careful right you, or, got, you have to be very focused or what i would do in college is i would uh, take a big glass and I'd put cereal and milk in it and I'd walk around my dorm room like drinking a cup of cereal. Cereal's no banana. Like you can't just <laughs> right. you, you can nonchalantly eat a, like a banana on the way to work. You can't just like put a quick bowl of cereal in your car and head over to the <laughs> office. Wait, so is there an opportunity there? Because the cereal industry is dying. People don't need cereal anymore. Right. So, so there's an opportunity cereal. to make portable cereal. Cereal on the go. maybe all it is, is it's a refrigerated thing. You pull a tab and the cereal falls into milk. Uh -huh. And then you mix it and then you have access to cereal that's just freshly been into milk. So the milk and the cereal are sold as one unit. I like it. Isn't doesn't soy I've never had soy milk. Doesn't that taste like cereal milk? It tastes like Cheerio milk. Yeah, it tastes yeah. like Cheerio milk. Yeah. Because couldn't you like... just bypass the chewing part and just make cereal smoothies? That, see, that's always been my issue with cereal in the first place was the chewing aspect. <laughs> no, I think you have no time for that. I like the chewing aspect. Like I think like one of the reasons I'll I'll choose Cheerios over soy is because I get to chew on it. Interesting. Because yeah. I feel like a lot of people hate soggy cereal, right. and I love soggy cereal. Gotcha. I'm happy to just leave it sitting there for a long time. Interesting. It's, yeah. 
I like to chew it, but it's the contrast between the the milk that is wet and the cereal that has just be- recently become wet that creates the perfect amalgamation of I need to be, flavors. Yeah, I need to be in the right mindset for cereal. Um, to me, cereal is um, a place for creating a, a reflective narrative of your life. And if I don't have um, the time or if I'm just in a dark place and I don't want to self-reflect, I can't do cereal. Right. Because you can, you know, in, in the office when there's the camera scenes where like somebody will just look directly at the camera. Yeah. But, like cereal is one of those moments where when you're eating it, you feel like that could happen. Like you just look up and there's a camera yeah. watching you like solitarily eat cereal. Wait, so can you only eat, you can only eat cereal alone? No, I can be self-reflective with other people. Um, I think one of the greatest attributes of the human mind is that it allows you to find solitude even when you're in a crowd. That's true. But I fully expected a lot of these moments where you say something deep or insightful or smart, and then I just stare at you going, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I think that's true. I think that's also kind of a weird thing about depression, right? Like, I, I read this quote the other day that Wait, said, so we're done with the serial podcast now. Speaking of serial, let's talk about depression. Uh, it just said something where, like, um, depression is the most common mental, like, ailment, but it's, like, the one that makes you feel the most alone. So mm-hmm. to your point about being in a crowd, like, it could be a crowd of 20 depressed people, but they all feel very isolated. So your, your point about, like, feeling like you, like, can enter the depths of your own mind while in a crowd, right. I think that's, like, yeah. Um, do you think this is a good point in the podcast to actually introduce ourselves? Yeah. We didn't actually say who we were. No, that's a great <laughs> point. Yeah. See, that's good because I I've actually gotten a lot of feedback from people that I don't ever introduce the guests, and my response was, "Well, it says their title and their name in the description that you click play on." So didn't you already get that? Right. Mm. But everyone says, no, that's the way podcasts work. Right. Well, I mean, the universe... There's like a cool intro and then we call out our sponsors. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. The universe our sponsors are Kellogg's. <laughs> <laughs> there was, there... Cookie Crisp. They're a very dying brand. We need uh, you can do them. podcasts however you want. There was no explosion of the universe. And then the, these like constants were set where like, this is how you have to do right. a podcast. But after all that talking of cereal, if people are still listening, they're probably like, who are these guys? Right. So you might yeah, go ahead and uh, introduce yourselves. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first, Corey? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, my name is Corey Zybel. Uh, my official title at Digital Surgeons is Senior Full Stack Engineer. Unofficial title? Um, probably the one who parties the hardest. True. <laughs> Potentially. Um, I don't know. I, I like to kind of be the class clown, make people laugh, but always keep things insightful and valuable. Uh, yeah, I, I do a lot of technology work um, for the most part, uh, hooking up craft CMS and WordPress is my current uh, tasks. Some of most people will not know what that means. Um, but yeah, so it's a lot of writing code uh, for the back end of software, which is like the thing that works with data. Um, and then the front end of software, which is like what you see and what you interact with. And um, how did you get into technology in the first place? Like, what's your background? Um, so the first, it's like one of those things where you could tell a story and that, like, you're like, so when I was five years old, <laughs> but that's actually, so, uh, when I was a kid, I was really into computer games and, uh, and like I had had the idea of kind of like maybe getting into making games or whatever, but, uh, there was this funny time where 
uh, my dad got like Doom for our original Windows 3.1 computer and I love playing Doom and then he got cheat codes and I love cheat codes because they were the best thing ever you like type a few characters and your character is now God and just all he needs is a chainsaw and I thought that that was like a really awesome thing and as I kind of like progressed and got like like working more with computers and stuff I always was trying to find like I don't know the cheat codes to everything like trying to hack my way through stuff like learn how stuff was done and like kind of try and figure out if there's an easier better or faster way to do it and that brought me into most technology like I got in trouble in high school for trying to break into some servers it was all it was all in good fun none of it was ever like in a malicious manner but that got me into technology and then I got really into web technology because it was one of those things where like it was kind of the blend of art and science because in most technology work you're kind of working on uh, the back end or like the data processing or like uh, kind of just creating applications from how data is moved around but websites were like this new frontier of like interactivity and media and like art and science and I started to get into graphic design and so that blend brought me into web technology which slowly but surely brought me here and you also like read philosophy on the side right I did. Yeah. yeah. As a as a big hobby, um, philosophy has always been one of those things where I always need a way to try and explain the world around me. I'm not comfortable if I don't have an answer to a problem. And so philosophy was an approach that allowed me to kind of formally look for answers to questions and thoughts I had about the world around me and existence and everything. So I went into computer science um, academically and technology academically and then professionally and then uh philosophy has always been a big hobby for me jake yeah so my name is my name is jake burden um at digital surgeons my title is web developer um it's about as fancy as it gets i i do a similar role to Corey, um engineering the websites um creating custom software when needed um and basically being heads down in code all day. Although there's a, a lot of a human aspect to what we do here. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's, it's not just looking at a, a screen of syntax and um, lines of code all day. It's also going to calls, being with managers and clients and figuring out solutions and the best way to kind of um, bridge the creativity to the tech side, to the business solution. Um, there's a lot more to it. And I think this goes for everyone's role here um, than just what your title says, which is, I think, kind of like we often say, like, that we don't care about titles here very much. Right. Um, so so then what would your unofficial title be? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love for my unofficial title to be in-house philosopher. Um, we haven't really found a need for that yet, but I would love for that to be my unofficial title. And the reason why is because um, I am currently finishing my last my final semester of undergrad getting my degree in philosophy it's a major part of my life and i i very much enjoy it some people wonder why philosophy for um, someone who is who's working in tech and i had a professor once who um he answered this for me without even trying he didn't even realize he was giving me this answer but i was in a computer ethics class and he was asking um, a class body of mostly computer science majors what their interpretation of philosophy was. And um, some people in that class were like very intelligent. They would give the actual etymology of philosophy, calling it the love of wisdom. Um, and he was like, yeah, but what does that mean? Like, go deeper. And people would give their interpretations. And he gave his. And he got that from another professor. And I forgot the original source of this. But he referred to philosophy as the... Uh, systematic testing of our rational beliefs of the world 
which I think is something that you do in whatever field you're doing, whatever field you're you're trying to be creative and solve problems, you're testing your beliefs and and how they actually um, what what the actual results of your beliefs are um, versus what you you expected your beliefs to be. That sounded weird. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> so you would you have this expectation of what you're going to do, um, of how what you're doing affects the world. And then after you actually do that, you get an actual result. And philosophy is just figuring out what those actual results might be before you actually do the experiment. And I think that that comes up a lot in our work, especially when you're coding, but probably also in many other fields. Nice. That's interesting to touch on creativity. Like, Corey, when you went into a lot of the work with web stuff and hacking through, finding problems, tie that a little bit back to creativity. Because you know, I think certainly people would point towards you two as creative minds. Um, that's one of the reasons I wanted you guys here together was because it'll just divert into a conversation around innovations in the serial market. Um, but how does creativity play into your everyday work? Yeah, I think something that's interesting is I think when you see the word creativity and kind of like SEO heavy blog posts that are on Forbes, like, or a lot of things, creativity is often referred to as like the, like a very specific outlet of it. So in other words, like the graphic design aspect, these like artists are so creative in either like the music they're making or like the visuals they're doing, but then that slowly starts to falter. Like you'll have writers, but like then there's creative writing as if there's only one aspect of writing that's creative and the other pieces aren't. And I think that um, that often falls off when it comes to technology. Like people kind of don't associate, they hear the word creative or creativity and they think technology is in like kind, kind of like science and engineering and like just sitting down with like a pen and paper and like putting on two lab coats and like two sets of glasses and then just doing the thing instead of like being creative. And I think creativity to me is a lot less about um, the outlet of the creativity. So in other words, it's not as much about the thing that you're creating at that point, but more so the ability for your brain to take in uh tons of ideas that it already has new ideas that have been inserted into it like maybe the ether of something you can't grasp that just somehow helps you do what you're doing and then to kind of mold all of that into some new output that didn't exist before so whether that's like solving a problem in like a mental uh or like a scientific way or whatever or like just designing some artwork or like illustrating something whatever it is i think it's like creativity is just kind of the ability of the human mind to essentially use the prefrontal cortex and imagination to come up with a thing that wasn't originally a thing. Um, whether that's like a mashup of something that already existed or a brand new idea or whatever. Um, I think that's more of a definition of creativity to me than kind of like the output, like the creative work that we do or the thing that we make um, is more the activity of what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a question I always ask everyone on here, because um, I think it's disputed is, the the ability to teach or learn creativity do you feel like these are innate traits or talents that you have or skills that you have or is it something you have learned and developed over time yeah um yeah nah. <laughs> uh, going back to like that hacking thing i think there's shortcuts you can take so like there's there's some like cheat codes or whatever like but so like so in other words some of it can be taught and some of it can't like there's that thing that morpheus says in the matrix where he's like you need to know that this is a system and like some rules can be bent others can be broken like that's kind of yeah. a way like there's shortcuts to it and there's ways that you can get towards like being creative faster but i don't think 
all of it can be taught. Um, I, I would love to hold on to that reference too, if we can remember to come back to that, that matrix. Yeah, of course. Reference later. Um, and so in other words, I think like an interesting thing is uh, I think there's a big difference between inspiration and creativity. And I think sometimes those get mixed up. Like um, there's the uh, I don't remember who the original quote is. It's been attributed to Stephen King, but it's basically like um, like amateurs sit and, insp- and, and wait for inspiration. And then like the professionals just get up and go to work like. Yeah, I think um, there's a Jack London one that's like something like the amateurs right. wait for inspirations and like writers go after it with a stick i think that was gotcha. the, the original and then there's like yeah and then some artist i forget the the name of the artist and nessa knows it like he also said something similar it's attributed to him it's like yeah. one of those weird things where like multiple people invented calculus at the same time yeah. like just <laughs> the same idea came up but yeah. Leibniz um, and newton right. both invented calculus at about the same time yeah. but Leibniz was more right <laughs> but go deeper on the differenti- differentiation between inspiration and creativity there. yeah so in other words inspiration can help you be creative inspiration is kind of like what I was saying about your brain's ability to take ideas that it already has and then external ideas like um, inspiration can influence you externally but it still requires um, like your ability to kind of take those ideas and then combine them with new ideas or ideas you already have or your unique way of thinking or a word that's been stuck in your head or whatever um, and combine all that stuff into something new and I think oftentimes we think that inspiration can just force creativity like if you show somebody like who's an illustrator like enough other illustrations like they'll just instantly make the perfect illustration I think um it's important to note that like those can be shortcuts. So inspiration is an example of like a shortcut to being creative, like a thing that can be taught. Like, hey, if you're you've run into a blocker, like you're not sure like how to solve this or how to come up with like a solution, like maybe look at what others have done and we'll give you like an idea of where to move forward. But that doesn't necessarily teach how to do the thing. It just teaches like a shortcut on how to get there. Um, and I think so to your point about whether it can be taught, I think parts of it can be or like kind of approaches and shortcuts and some of the methodologies but i think at the core it's still something that people have to kind of figure out for themselves a little bit and then uh get to just by doing it kind of over and over and then eventually you get better and better at it you come up with your own shortcuts you teach others those shortcuts Mm -hmm. and the cycle continues right yeah you brought up um sorry i was gonna say morpheus go (laughs) um (laughs) you you brought up a good point about um the difference between someone who is waiting for inspiration and someone who just goes to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to, to talk more about that. I have, um, in my mind, I, I knew that the question of how we interpret creativity was going to come up because it comes up in all the other podcast episodes. <laughs> and I found myself... I never made a list of questions. So it's the only questions that I have in my mind. It's a great question. But um, it's also one that I had um, not a struggle with in coming up with uh, uh, the boundaries of creativity, but figuring out which of my boundaries were correct. <laughs> and and by, what, by that I mean, I have three hot takes on creativity that I'm about to... <laughs> one, I'm go. about to spit. <laughs> um, so the first one is, I just read the dictionary. Um, not the whole thing, but like I looked for the word creativity in there. You read it cover to cover, but you went around the back. Right. <laughs> um, and in both Oxford um, English Diction- the Oxford English Dictionary, or uh, OED as we call them in academia, um, and, and um, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, creativity. Is that the uh, MWD also in academia? Yeah, we just call Merriam-Webster. <laughs> They're a little bit cooler, actually. Like Oxford is like higher up in like the linguistic community, but Merriam-Webster like but they're not as hip. Yeah, like, Mer- they take longer to add like yeet and stuff. Yeah, but Merriam <laughs> Merriam-Webster like 
tweets like funny shit all the time like it's, gotcha. it's pretty good yeah they have um, a good marketing team <laughs> yeah um so in the dictionary basically just says um creativity is using your imagination to come up with a creation which i think is you know a pretty good definition i think it fits the bill yeah um but i didn't really think i can go much deeper into that and so i didn't want to lead with just the definition i mean i did they're just there but, <laughs> but, i don't want to do exactly what but I now said. but now we still have the other two hot takes which i think are going to get much better okay as, as it progresses and there's kind of an evolution here um i like it because it's, it's kind of a hegelian dialectic that i'm going for so my my thesis and this was like just how, like uh you'll explain the difference between leibniz uh and uh newton like invent and calculus, but you'll just quickly toss out. Uh, I don't even know what you just said. Something dialectic. Oh, Hegelian dialectic. Yeah, Hegelian um, dialectic, and keep moving forward. So you'll. Well, everyone knows Hegelian dialectic. You're gonna know, right, of course, right? But yeah. this is a very Socratic. I was, I was method. just testing. Yeah, it. yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> See if he knew what Hegelian right, exactly. dialectic yeah. was. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to take you guys through a Socratic method where you're gonna understand a Hegelian dialectic, not by definition, but through a and live being example. Uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> and sweating, um, and. Um, so, right, we started with the thesis, which was just um, the definition of creativity. Someone who uses their imagination to create. Hot take one. It's hot take one, the thesis. Now I'm going to bring the antithesis to that thesis, which is that, and this is not entirely rigorous in thought, but I think it's an important distinction. Uh, I kind of have a view of creativity as uh, a uniqueness to your monotonous daily life. And I think that adds up to a very troubling aspect because if our daily lives are to be creative does that mean that to us creativity is a monotony and so what does it mean to be creative when your day job is to be creative because if we're coming up with a lot of very similar things yeah. all the time, I mean, if that you follow the treat as yeah. creativity, and if you follow the definition, which I right. was describing, like of coming up with a new thing by using your imagination, we're doing that a lot in any given day, and like a lot of it may not be amazing, but it's just a thing that we have to do. Right. Like. Yeah, and and so it really it really makes me wonder. Um, and it's not just us either. I mean, I think a lot of people we we use the term creative and we call ourselves creatives, but I think a lot of people in the world are creative in a certain way, right? Like chefs are creative with the way they present their food, the way they color things, um, mm. not like things, mm -hmm. but the way they add color to your meal. Um, carpenters are you know, creative with the molding and, and cuts of wood that they do. There's a lot of aspects of creativity. I think it's, it's, it's almost a bit um, selfish for us to like hoard the word for ourselves when so many people are being creative. Yeah, but, maybe we're putting on a ped pedestal too much. Mm. Like, in other words, the word, like, we're all trying to achieve something that we're already doing based on like the definitions we're talking about it. And then, like, but at the same time, there's articles being written about like how you're not being creative enough or about like right. how to be more creative. But I think that that creates a, at least some sort of distinction, right? When you're driving to work, you're not being creative, you're doing a monotonous thing. If you're driving really fast to work, <laughs> you're maybe being creative or something like that. Um, so that's my second take on creativity: is that it's it's a uniqueness and a, a differentiation from um, from your monotonous day to day activity. The third definition: I'm probably going to find holes in it later, but right now it's it's kind of fitting. And I see creativity as this intersection between. Uh, between free-flowing thought and rigorous cognition. 
Oh, I remember when you used this. That is, you're allowing your mind to expand and have a broad view on a lot of things. And at the same time, you're being very sharp and very tight and functional. It's this, um, it's this perfect blend in between form and function that like, I think we've been looking for in art and design for, for all of human civilization. You'll, you'll find that everywhere. Um, I was listening to a podcast this morning to prepare for this one, because you know, it's just, I'm just, did you get this definition from that? No, I didn't. But but someone brought up a good point. This this person I was listening to, he's a designer in New York, and he brought up this point about like if you look at earliest human tools, I think even before uh, the time of like Homo sapien, right? You'll find tools that were functional, like the axe, but completely symmetrical. Also, so there was beauty like ingrained in us. Interesting. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, I think true creativity is when you find that perfect, that perfect mix of, of form and function. Right. Maybe to a good point of that, I just started to kind of bounce off it. I just thought about, imagine like uh, someone making knives out of obsidian, like uh, a member of the tribe, like making knives out of obsidian, like sharp knives, but like they just keep making the same knife over and over. And like, that's what they do. They make knives and like, right. it's a really good knife. Like it does the thing, allows right. them to skin animals. And then somebody else like gets something and like wraps it to a spear. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of the same rigorous, the monotonous act of doing the same thing, but then like using it in a different way now creates like the next these branches, stage yeah, yeah these yeah, branches of ideas yeah. which i think is a great way to look back at ideas like we have there's so many ideas that we have now that if you look back at their embryonic state and trace them to how we got to them here right you see these branches between people and writings poetry and plays um and I, I think it's just it's it's kind of a beauty of how humankind has progressed looking at the way these ideas have progressed but to the point of like where you said if you're if your job like four hundred thousand years ago or something was to um you like made like the first like axe and everyone was like that's a beautiful functional axe make more of them for us please is that still being creative after you make the second one or the third one because you're no longer coming up with these ideas you're just doing the thing that you did before and there's like levels of it too because like you can make the same axe but you figure out how to make it twice as fast right so like you haven't changed the thing just the act you change the process right and you might say that changing the process itself is a creative like that considered creative as well like you're just describing Saturday Night Live now. <laughs> just oh, that works. Repeat that right, every yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, but no, yeah you like, guys are talking, and I'm over here just like shit. Was I creative this whole time, or was I just really bored? Well, like yeah, is I mean, my whole career monotony? <laughs> well, I mean, like even in our job, right? Like a lot of what we're doing is like improving our process technologically, mm-hmm. like making it so that we don't have to repeat actions or like that we can make it so that uh, other team members can jump in earlier where like the dev team would normally have to do something. Um, And some of that stuff gets back to like kind of that example of like, we've already made the beautiful acts, but it took really long last time. And now we're figuring out how to make it faster. And like, I think that that's a really good call because I think that's kind of like the borderline of what some people do and do not consider to be creative. Like is improving your process creativity or is it just being more efficient at something that you were already creative about in the past. Right. How like, does a designer like streamline their process? How do they make an axe faster right. mm-hmm. through digital design? Well, I think that yeah. that I was just, I was thinking about something very similar, um, probably at the same time as you, um, where uh, Ford, right? He sped up 
the creation of the automobile by introducing right. the assembly line. Yeah. It's much harder to create an assembly line for knowledge workers, mm. I think. And I think some people might argue that it's impossible. If you're doing knowledge work, you're not creating a widget. And if you're not creating a widget, you can't put that on an assembly line. However, I think if you're in the industry long enough, you'll find that a lot of the things we produce are, in a way, widgets. Mm. Um, and there are these hidden, maybe like micro assembly lines that can all be kind of connected you right. won't have like one long assembly line of someone who like designs the same the same type and the same color scheme and the same layout over and over again right. but maybe in the process of coming up with a type to use and coming up with a color scheme to use and coming up with a layout maybe there are these tiny assembly lines and i wouldn't really i think part of me really wishes that there wouldn't be but i think the reality might be that the human brain is so good at finding patterns that when there's seemingly nothing there we might start to create our own and we might start to see that there are these tiny assembly lines that we could utilize or exploit depending on how you see it yeah and i think what's interesting too is like there's ways where you think about how a task that some knowledge worker has to do um could potentially be uh, automated or sped up in an assembly line manner, somebody has to spend the time to go through time and money usually because time and space are the same thing yeah. and time equals money. So then therefore space, space all, equals money. also equals money. Yeah. Um, so basically, this, this is the last conversation where I got lost was when you said time and space are the same thing. I was like, is it? How? What? And oh. then, and then I was like five minutes out of the conversation Oh, gotcha. Because <laughs> well, I was just thinking about time and space. That's Einstein's relativity, is that right. time and space are not separate things, but right. space-time is one thing. Yeah. Um, Have you ever seen Interstellar? No. Okay, in Interstellar, they uh, get to this planet that's very close to a black hole, um, and therefore there's, like, a ton of mass. Um, so there's, like, space is being, like, compacted around them, and therefore time is different around them as well. So time is moving much slower for them while they're on the planet. So, um, like, one of the characters, his daughter, like, ages very quickly. Not quickly, rel- like, relative. it's relative to him. That's why right. it's relativity. <laughs> but, like, uh, so, like, well, he's aging very slowly on the planet and experiencing time and, like, um, however he experiences at the time, his daughter's aging and she becomes like almost his age. Like by the time he leaves like the black hole area and, t- and time is very similar for him now. And that's an example of like how a movie did a good job of explaining right. uh, time and space. being. That's similar. why in Avengers, it annoyed me when Thor said how old he was in years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just right. because he's a God. Well, also, <laughs> his years be completely different. From right. right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Was he referring to earth years? Right. Right. Um, Wait, where was I? Well, you brought up you you brought boredom, and I wanted to kind of touch that a little bit more, because I think it's important. We were talking about the assembly line a bit. I was. I don't know where you were going anymore. (laughs) But you brought boredom. Hold on, let me just finish my thought real quick. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All my thought was was uh, oftentimes things can be the assembly line can be created, automated, or enhanced or whatever, but it requires that sort of upfront effort and process to do so. So mm-hmm. I would imagine that worldwide there's millions of knowledge workers doing potentially monotonous tasks that could be improved, automated, or otherwise, mm-hmm. but the upfront investment, planning, and effort to execute on that, make that happen, like nobody's willing to do. And so like Henry, like everyone could have kept making cars in the same way before Henry Ford decided to make an assembly line. It would have just kept taking longer, but they wouldn't have had to invest in an assembly line. Right. And then, yeah, so that's all I was getting at. No, I think that's a great point. Um, and the belief that, not just the financial investment, the belief that a change could be made. 
Right. Yeah. 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 He has a. I mean, uh, I think it's Ford has a really famous quote where he said like, if somebody asked me what they wanted, um, like before I had like made the car popular right. or something like they would have told me a faster horse. Right. Like. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. Also, just to believe that change can be made. Um, I think we often will say things like, well. Something will happen, and we'll just throw out the excuse. Well, that's just the way that the industry is. Um, however, this industry is so young; it's so young. There's, there's yeah, no digital advertising. Well, depends on. I mean, what you mean? Relatively to young. If and we, I, that's what we consider, like yeah, DS to be. Even digital advertising itself is a young field, um, but I mean, there's there's so many gradients to all the roles of people here. Right. Yeah. That like some people's roles. Um, some people are older than their role like right. a web developer mm-hmm. they're maybe 20 years ago was the first web developer in terms of like someone who would take a design and like build HTML and right. whatever rudimentary CSS was yeah, even available yeah. in the yeah, day yeah when CSS like first came out so yeah. technically like I'm older than right. that role <laughs> yeah me too thanks <laughs> and we're older than the job we have like ever existed right um, yeah. and so I'm, I'm kind of thinking that in terms of like you can change the way the industry is there's literally nothing stopping us from just leaving this room right now and changing the whole way the industry works just because a group of people started doing it one way like 10 20 years ago maybe 30 40 years ago if you look back depending on whose roles whose right um that that does not necessarily dictate that this is how it has to go from the future forward Right, and I think that's a very important mindset to have. I think it's it's quite powerful. Yeah, agreed. And also, like the the biggest, richest, um, or fastest shouldn't be the ones to dictate how the industry should always evolve. Right. Like in other words, just because like a huge company does something one way doesn't mean it's the best way, uh, especially for both employees or what we're making for end users, that sort of thing. Like, yeah. Um, I love how this all still ties back to our innovations in the cereal industry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're talking about exactly. They, it, like, it's all one big always, pitch. They've always thought about it as just one way, and it's an industry that they can't change. But, right. But they never realized, yeah. like, that think, maybe. Think they beyond can. breakfast. Yeah. Right. Beyond yeah. breakfast. You don't need just the bowl. Right. Um, yeah. But. Um, Car cereal. Right. They need to stop advertising cup holders and start advertising cereal oh, holders. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, there's no more bowls. No more bowls. No more, yeah, we're getting rid of bowls. Something that I've, I will tie the cereal industry down to another yeah. industry. It's they like a to, scuba device. Right. Something I have a Hands large, free. So, right. You just have a tank and a mask. <laughs> something I have a distaste for, and that's not cereal. Is, um, something I have a distaste for is looking at testimonials from like large companies. Like this large company bought this software and they were successful. And this large company hired this coach in this sort of management process. And look how successful they are. They have a huge budget, like millions of dollars. They right. can spend half a year building a carousel on their website yeah, and like, like customizing it. it to work for another. Yeah. Like, also, those testimonials look. are handpicked. They didn't go. Here's this great testimony from this company, yeah. and here's a shitty one. Right. right. You know. Let, let's just be transparent. Here's a crap. That's why, one. like, even when I browse Amazon, like, I never look at five star reviews. 
because like I consider five star reviews to be like like I like just like so in Uber you always have to give people five stars or else they lose their job. Right. But I think that people take that same mentality for Amazon and just always five star something. So then I start looking at four star reviews, but then you'll see four star reviews and they won't say why they gave it four stars. So I skip over those and then you finally find the review that's like this is a pretty great product, but the battery life is not nearly as good as they advertise. And oh. it's like that's the review I'm looking for. Yeah, I like the one stars just because I like it's fun to read. <laughs> okay. it's, like, that's my reality yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's your real users the person who one started it right um i, I want to see more testimonials being used by or from i want to see more testimonials from small boutique shops with extremely tight budgets right like people who like if we didn't get this project right our lights turned off kind of a place because right. those are the people who are will if they're picking like a software package right. or management process or they something they only had one opportunity have, to solve a problem and right. if they didn't like yeah. it was over they had one chance yeah. to use that thing they didn't have weeks or millions of dollars in budget they had what little money they had and right. time they had and if they were successful using it that's a true testimonial to me to that point i think <laughs> case studies would be way more valuable if they talked about challenges because i think oftentimes you read case studies as like everything was amazing and mm -hmm. nothing nothing bad ever happens ever like in marketing and like not marketing is in the industry of marketing but in marketing, you're not allowed to talk about bad things when you're like, like, in other words, you have to only publish the five star reviews and you have right. to like, you can't say like, here's the challenges we like we as a company who made cereal went through to get the thing. But now you should get the cereal because here's how we solve the problem. Like you only talk about the good things. And it's all like, there's this big thing called blue sky thinking. And it's like about how like whenever there's a problem in front of you, you just look up and like, uh, because you're looking at the sky all the time and it's, so it's like blue sky thinking, like you're never looking at the problem in front of you and talking about it. And I think it would be really interesting to have case studies that talked about challenges and stuff that not only like uh, a company went through while doing X, Y, or Z, but uh, that they're still encountering or that they're still trying to solve. Because I think that then shows like their ability to solve a problem as, a, as opposed to just like, here we went up 94%. And that's like the end. It's like, and we did that by digital advertising or whatever, like the, you know, the case study says. Right. Can we talk about boredom? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Why are you bored? <laughs> no, I'm not bored. I'm not bored. But I think that there's, I'm picturing myself as the listener. And if I'm someone who is in this industry, who, uh, let's face it, there's like a large like issue in the industry right now where a lot of people are just like completely bored with like what they're doing. Um, and I would love to speak to that person right now, um, which, uh, and I want to do it in, in the frame of finding those micro assembly lines, because this is something that I fear, um, is that we want to both be creative and efficient. And I think in finding those micro assembly lines and really like boiler plating our workflows, mm -hmm. we're taking the fun out of the out of the process taking the fun out of the work right we're like commoditizing creativity yeah and it, so is in one sense like you do need to find those efficiencies right because you do need to um you do need to gain profitability you want to be able to pay your bills you want to be able to like lift comfortably mm -hmm. and then on the other side is you got into this industry for a reason there was something calling you there was there was one day when you saw something in front of you and you said i want to do that and does does making that more efficient um does that blow out the spark does that make you no longer want to do that and is that going to create an issue in the future if it does where less people actually want to do this industry because the gray beards in front of them told them that it's going to 
lead to monotony and misery and you know they're yeah. better off cleaning teeth though or something i actually had a similar conversation with aaron lemay on this last week um aaron lemay video game designer but guru here um when we have questions and i was talking about that very subject because there was a project where um there's there's a couple where they were seemingly monotonous or seemingly boring or seemingly or potentially not something that was worth our time and so we he was helped creating mental models for how we approach the work. How do we do it with confidence? How do we do it with passion, with pride, with excitement? And how, if we don't have it, how do we find it mm. within ourselves? And so we, you know, we looked at a project and it was fast paced. It was a quick turnaround. It was, you don't have time to get into it. But what I did without realizing it, and then he made it, it's apparent on a lot of projects is I had to find some sense of ownership. So it was not an interesting project, but by creating a sense of ownership, in my own mind, I made myself excited to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it was writing a simple tag that goes on a, a product, mm -hmm. you know, just a, a tag. Usually it has the, what the name of the product is and some legal jargon. Um, and it was very simple. But what I did was I changed the whole name of like the, the product line and wrote up something. And I just was like, I need to do something different. So it was the creative rebel, but it was also a sense of like, I'm owning this project. I'm taking something that's boring and making it creative and they don't need it. But if I can get this done in my way too, in the same amount of time, I can give them, this is what you asked for, but here's another idea. Maybe just something you can think about. And so I got past that aspect of something potentially being boring mm -hmm. by flipping it on its head. I think that's, right. a, that's a great approach. I think like a big thing to Jake's point is, is he's talking. Pause for beer. Yeah, can open. you grab me one <laughs> down there? <laughs> <laughs> we can keep this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> Cracking open some beers halfway through. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> um, but, oh, yeah. So um, I think what's really important uh, is not only for the employee to find, like, and I say employees and like, you know, somebody in the industry to find their spark, passion, creativity, whatever. But I think it's important that we don't lose that in the industry overall. So in other words, like we're getting to a point now where CMOs are just executives and they are reporting to a, a bigger executive who then reports to a group of shareholders. And all of that is numbers, right? It's based on like a quarter quarterly earnings report and uh, the growth and the number of sales. And, and that all makes sense. But um, what's going to end up happening, in, in my opinion, is if that becomes the only metric to which we work and it's only about growth and it's only about increased sales, um, is that we're going to get to a point where... Um, us coming up with a different solution, us innovating, coming up with something a bit more creative isn't going to matter. Like we won't have the time or, or opportunity to do it because uh, nobody wants to uh, like make the assembly line. Nobody wants to like figure out a way to do something in a different way because like there's the potential that it will fail. And like um, I think there's a lot of cool things that are made out there um but they still kind of you can tell are like they're the one-off projects they're mm -hmm. like where a cmo goes like we have x amount of money we're gonna spend 95 percent of it doing the same thing we've always done and then five percent just on some like something that looks cool but doesn't really like you know change that much and i think uh it's important for uh companies cmos whoever to kind of give like we're a creative agency right so 
part of the reason we're doing these podcasts or we come together every day and we think differently is because of the fact that like if you give us the same type of work all the time and you just want like 10% growth month by month like sure we can probably deliver on that like there's proven strategies in the industry everyone knows how to grow a little bit but like it's going to be that one off thing where we tell the the cereal company you know get rid of the bowl kind of thing yeah, it's going to be like right yeah, yeah. yeah. it's going to be that one thing that like really all of a sudden propels a company into a new thing um, a new industry and I think it's important that we don't always just focus on these like quarterly like how do we hit our growth targets every time because obviously that's important and that's kind of the way our economy works and, and what we're going to be tracked on but we have to be able to take risks, right? Because if we're not able to take risks, then it's going to become the most monotonous thing ever. We're going to figure out how to automate everything. And then it's just going to be a bunch of computers making ads for each other. And that's going to be like the, yeah, like literally what, what we end up for. That That's something else I was thinking about too, is, um, you know, if we automate, or even if we, if we find the most efficient route to make the things that generate the most revenue mm. or generate the best numbers like in analytics the most clicks on that button that we really wanted to get clicked or something like that um will the general public always follow the same route or are they going to start seeing the same monotony that we see right and then start searching for that creativity the the unprofitable creativity and then that becomes the thing that all the numbers start to like um kind of like roll into. Right? See, I believe, it, you know, everything is secular. Mm. Secular, that's not a weird saying, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's true. Uh, but I believe that uh, the, cre- the creative world, this industry we work in, is coming back around to what it was decades ago with the creative revolution. Mm. Uh, I think, I believe that that's coming back now, that the heart of the industry is going gonna, is gonna to come back and it's going to mm. be less about numbers focused and more about idea focused and the idea of the ones who believe the one who take the chances will win in the long run and, and once that's clear and understood the question will not be you know what's my ROI it's let's let's see what the ROI will be mm-hmm. let's 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 get this out in the world because it's more and more it's easy to test right you know we I think for years ago we we were always asking how do we create more content cheaper and now we're creating more content cheaper we're doing mm-hmm. it we yeah. do it every day yeah and so now that we're doing it let, we got to put it out in the world but I think the disconnect now is the the okay the the signing the check whereas mm-hmm. years ago it was we don't know how we're going to make that video for five grand and now we're like oh we can do two of those videos for five grand right uh but we need you to yeah. say yes and you I know think, we need you to give us that check right and i think like the more the more and more we make more content cheaper the more people are going to crave different content mm-hmm. right so it's not going to be about like all the shortcuts that have been taken on this content x y or z are going to be like kind of moot when nobody wants to click on anything and i was thinking about this the other day so we like we build seo into all of our websites and and the way we we test seo is a computer goes through and checks our site for um, how good it will show up in a search engine and then a search engine will go through our site and, and go through and determine how it thinks our um, our pages should go up but like there is no human element to testing mm. SEO like and and as much as where a page ranks um, on Google is important I can tell you that it's very often that I don't click the first five links I don't click the like I go to page two and I don't and I don't see something that Somebody and it's because like three. 
right and <laughs> yeah, yeah and it's like cool stuff and is. the copy so <laughs> the copy that's convincing computers that it's the most important copy isn't convincing me it's the right. most in- important copy and i think like we're slowly getting to a point where now it's just so many computers are fighting over one another uh that the person who just does something that's not for the computer starts to right. like get back to the people who actually are making the person yeah, the decisions. next google innovation is going to be a button that says i'm a human and it's going to take us to page three where all the good stuff is right yeah yeah i mean we optimize we optimize for one place of search, which is Google. Right. Pretty much. Why don't we ever optimize for making it well, more? You're the only one who uses Bing. It's not going to catch on. <laughs> well, first of all, I use DuckDuckGo. Um, <laughs> also one of our sponsors. <laughs> secondly, secondly uh, you know, no, not just us, but no one optimizes for um, getting more people to share their page on a newsletter. No one optimizes for getting more people to just tweet about their page. You know, we optimize for search engine um, results. I think they, that just, sorry to interrupt, but I think that there are optimizations on getting people to tweet, but it's never because people want to tweet because they think this is something like people I know will really enjoy. It's oftentimes trying to incentivize people to tweet. Which I think is the wrong way to go about it. You know, I really want someone who is, who reads content, who sees the page in its context in the not just like reading the text and thinking this is like really good ideas that this person's having but the entire context of the page the design the copy right everything um how how fast the page load people don't like google amp because it like it loads fast but there's right. it like hijacks it hijacks your, your url right. it gives you like all this other stuff it's it's a it's just a terrible experience the whole experience of your website um i think needs to be optimized for shareability and not just searchability right yeah i think it's about content that humans will read i mean i get that search engines have kind of created a thing where we can take uh the amount of ridiculous content that's across the internet and then make it easier to find but at the same time we're getting to a point where uh, what people are trying to find isn't what Google thinks they are. And slowly, I think that algorithm that they perfected is diverting and they're having more and more trouble keeping up with like the a massive content of people who are just day to day trying to beat Google's algorithm to mm-hmm. get to the top. And it's going to be those like one off things where like somebody's like, hey, did you see this? And that's what's going to cause it to blow up and get shared rather than like the one Google search or like the like the key Facebook ad or that kind of thing. I mean, more and more people are looking to find like obscure subreddits. They want to see the weird and different things that Google does not optimize for. You know, right. Google optimizes for the very clean, tight stuff. But... It's the stuff that's floating. Right. I, I thought about this. I was trying to think of a, a way to describe content um, that's like Chambers is like, why are you so into like vaporwave and like kind of like these really obscure like uh, bits of content, whether it's music or art or whatever that like um, like have very small communities, but all of a sudden seem to be like blowing up. And I think it's um it's it's stuff that floats to the top. So if you think of like the whole internet is just this giant ocean, and like we try and splash people with what they want them to see, but like like I'm just kind of sitting watching at the top, and little things start to like catch my eye that float to the top. But like they're the things that like aren't trying to be sold to me like they're just kind of like there's a thing around my boat of stuff that everyone's trying to push on me but it's right. the thing that's like like way over there that's like shining the distance and i like push everything else away and i'm like oh what's that i go figure that out so i think that's a good example yeah i think there's there's like a there's a a beauty that's like in the initial um reason why someone starts making things on the internet and that beauty is like often lost with the things that uh that you find on the internet now 
a lot of it is just trying to get your click and trying to get your attention. Right. Um, the original GeoCities sites were like amazing. Yeah. Geo I don't know if you remember that. GeoCities was, was like fantastic. just crazy. Like a lot of like it was just dancing con- baby. And- right. Just conspiracy theories, just stuff that like obviously nobody was making money off of, but like like those gifts that like at the bottom would be like, you're like the 120,000th visitor <laughs> to like this page about UFOs. Like. Or whatever like those are those are people just making stuff without like try like they didn't have an inherent goal at the end of it i mean maybe their goal was to like oh i gotta get everyone to read about this conspiracy theory but they weren't like wondering like how many clicks they were gonna get or like like how many people were gonna sign up for their newsletter like that kind of thing it was less about like the end conversion and more about just the thing they were putting up on right so i'm gonna cut this part out because it's just an idea i want to throw your way but it was um me and jimmy were talking about this this morning because last week we were driving to get lunch and I um, I was hit a magazine in his car, I was flipping through his magazine. I was like, you know, I've been having this feeling that magazines are gonna come back really big. And because I watched the documentary on Big Brother, the skate magazine, which was fucking amazing. And then I read the book and watched documentary and the movie about um, Stupid and Futile Gesture about National Lampoons, mm-hmm. which was all three were amazing. And so I was just like, there was, there was a, a culture like a little subculture that each of these created. And what they did was they said, this is us and this is our lives and we're going to celebrate this. And mm. for it's whether it's skaters or it's comedians, whatever, like our you know, satirists or whatever, mm. whatever you say it is. But um, like, this is us. We'll make this. We'll, people will, they want to hear it. But they didn't push out of their realm. They stayed in their realm and they just built that up. Right. So and, when they had advertising, it was well, like four companies right. that were. But people in the, came to them and they right. said, "Oh, I, I want to see that, or I want a piece of that. I want like I don't mean businesses, I mean consumers." Mm. And so they didn't go. What's everyone like? What does everyone want? They said, "This is us." Right. And I, I love that about magazines. And I feel like no magazines died because they couldn't the print thing died. Mm. But online magazines became blogs, and blogs right. are generally boring. They're mm. visually unappealing. And what, because of just the nature of the internet, I think we fragmented too much. Mm-hmm. We became too small with all these different things. And so what we were talking about was there's no good creative, like a creative source for content because they're either too big, like say an ad age, ad week, Digiday, things like mm-hmm. that, where it's like our industry, but I don't want to read about analytics. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm reading right now. I'm not here to learn about things i don't want to learn right i want to i want to enjoy something i want to see that there's other people out there like me yeah. and so all of those publications lose me but yeah. then they get too specific so then it's like i'll read writers ones but then it's like i need something more i need a community writing it comes too focused mm-hmm. you know and then there's over there the guys are and the ladies are reading uh design blogs mm-hmm. and it's like well i'm not we're all in the same department but we're reading different stuff. To me, a yeah. lot of them don't have identities either. To your point of like, like they're not saying like, what do people want? They're saying like, this is us. Like, yeah. I imagine like all the, like the main uh, industry blogs you mentioned, to me, they all just remind me of like four dudes in suits. Yeah. And the only thing that separates them is that they have a different color tie. Right. And like, so we, we wrote up a little thing this morning about what we kind of envision. And so we're th- seeing it as a monthly ma- online magazine so similar to blog, but we're not going to match a blog style. Yeah. Wouldn't be that same experience. Um, but it's monthly. It only it only updates once a month, and each month, it uh, is a different creator, and that creator has full control over the site. So mm-hmm. we're going to build it in Squarespace, and then we hand it off. 
So we're there to like help with functionality, but the idea is like, say I give it to Ness, mm-hmm. and Ness goes, you know, I really want like I want, I want this copy to be upside down, and I want it to be about. I, I want this approach. Right. Like I want to tell this story and then she chooses what content goes on. So if we like put it out to our network and we say the theme this month is going to be about disruption. Yep. So give me a short, you don't have to give, don't give me the Google 2000 word article. Just give me your thoughts. It can be in a poem. It can be in a word search or it can be in a short blog post. Everyone give me your content. So she takes all the content disruption and then she assembles it how she sees fit, whether she uses it or not. She designs it or she leverages designs. So there might be cartoons in there and the, ch- the site completely changes on that day. And then that site is only shared through invites. Mm. So it's not just open anyone, you have to be invited to it. And each month we celebrate that creator and the community that they've curated. I think that's a great idea. I think that that's kind of like more of what is needed on the web right now in particular. Um, I love I love that you brought up um, you brought up skateboarding, which was a big part of my life. Wait, are we back in the podcast? I yeah. This was whole this whole thing was in the podcast. Well, I, I want to hear you. what you have to say. So um, <laughs> we took a break. We talked about skateboarding. And now Jake wants to talk about skateboarding on the on the air. Well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I grew up. I grew up skateboarding. I got my first skateboard when I was eight and um and i got not just into the act of skateboarding but also the culture of skateboarding um i studied i was an encyclopedia of skateboarders spots that they did tricks what tricks they did at those spots who was there uh, what teams they were on all that stuff Um, and there's a huge overlap between um skateboarding artists creatives Mm if you search for this guy, Mark Gonzalez, you'll find uh, probably more art than skateboarding. Will he be on the third page or the first? He'll be on probably up till the sixth page. And then you'll find a different guy named Mark Gonzalez <laughs> who has more of a... It's because he has identity, right? When you're searching for identities, when you find stuff. Yeah. You know, when you're searching for what someone wants other people to find. Right. So you'll find like a large amount of art from Mark Gonzalez. Um, I grew up at the time... I grew up skateboarding around the time that... I, I can't remember the publication. I'm probably going to get it wrong. I'm going to say it was Skateboard Magazine. There were a few magazines evolving that involved skateboarding that would that would subscribe subscribe to us subscribe to Thrash uh, Thrasher, Skateboard Mag. Um, were you were you post Big Brother? I was post Big Brother, but I, I have a lot of respect for like the 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 mindset of mm-hmm. that phase. Um, and I, I kind of I kind of traveled back in time a lot. Skateboarding was my history book. And have you seen the? Uh trailers for the new Jonah Hill movie no oh you gotta watch it yeah it's about skating in the mid 90s okay okay so like um Chad Muska-esque skateboarders so there was a a thing that happened for a few years it it was running for maybe four or five years called skate skate and create this happened it was an annual event um that skateboard magazine or some publication would put on where various teams would have a a set they would have a space where they can do anything they want with that space and then film themselves skateboarding there. And people would do crazy things. They would make circus-themed spaces to skateboard in it or um, like a midnight car crash scene and they would like skate across, like on the car, put ramps <laughs> up that made it so they can grind the top of the car or over do flips over the car or something like that. And to me, skateboarding was my original uh, creative outlet. Uh, I had a, 
a, a pretty nice basement to skate in. Um, thank you, mom and dad, for for that. Um, and I would put, I saw Skate and Create, and I was so inspired. I would and I would try to push myself physically and mentally to make this space that I saw in my mind. And I would, I, I would have these ramps, and I would stack them on top of each other. I didn't. I was. I was not satisfied by having one ramp to go up and down one ramp to do a trick and come back How down what was your basement it was um <laughs> it's probably like a eight or nine foot tall basement okay and i would and these ramps were three feet tall each so i was able to get like two ramps and like a and small two concussions and a small one and i got it too. i just imagine you being a very small person <laughs> i wish i had pictures of this because honestly that this was the sketchiest looking contraption i've ever created it was like two i don't know dude i've seen your code two <laughs> it was two um large pretty sturdy ramps um, one on the ground, one stacked on top of the other one, held together with bungee cords, and then a third like Walmart um, ramp on top, at the very top, with more bungee cords and like a and, like sounds a like the beginning of a bad small video. plastic chair to like put support onto one side, and it got to a point where it went the ramp went vertical and then like over vertical a little bit, so you kind of had a a slight sense of being upside down by the time you got to the top. And that was that was my life um, in my early teenage years. And did you go off the ramp? No, I would I would ride up to the very top and then ride back. So this down. is kind of like a half pipe sort of thing. This was half of a half pipe, but much steeper than a half pipe. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so it was a quarter pipe. It was a quarter pipe, and then a little bit more. On the <laughs> Interesting. Um, but so like a three eighths pipe. But yeah, but the I guess like the the point that I'm going for is I was. I was after this culture. Like this was was ingrained in me, um, and it wasn't just the act of skateboarding it's, itself, but the creation and the creativity that came out of it. And I I wasn't seeking content. I wasn't seeking um, commentary or tips and tricks to be the most efficient skateboarder. Like or top like ten lists or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I was looking for craziness. That's what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for. I wasn't looking for who's the who's the most professional skateboarder in the industry. You know, I was looking for like who is doing the thing that no one else is doing. Who is riding their skateboard literally upside down? And you'll see Dark like slide. yeah, you'll see Rodney Mullen. Now you'll see Day One Song. You'll the people. I think in life, most people are riding their their life skateboards wheels down and just going straight. I was looking for the people who were riding their skateboard upside down, who are doing tricks with their hands, who are doing things the wrong way, because there is no right way, really. Um, that's, you know, even Nietzsche said that, to bring us back to philosophy. Nietzsche said, you have your way, I'll have my way. As for the one way, the true way, there is none. And This uh, is hot take number four. This is hot take number four on creativity. <laughs> I'm just developing it now, live on the podcast. Um, I was, you know, I was really looking for who is doing things different. And that's what I'm looking for on the web today. I'm looking at who is doing the things differently. Who is making the websites with the text upside down? Who's making it so that I don't expect this piece of text to be a link, but when my cursor happens to hover over it, now it's all uppercase and it leads somewhere. Things that are kind of mysterious. I yeah. wonder how they it's did like, it. It's like a little bit of a discovery. Like yeah. everything doesn't follow. I know exactly what you mean. Like I really love hitting sites where it doesn't follow convention because like, 
your brain gets like when you do the same thing over and over and over patterns on the web are good in a conventional sense when like we need somebody to know what a button looks like but if you want somebody to explore and to figure something out then we should show them patterns that don't exist or like we should show like i get when i get to a website that has no images and it's just like black text and and you're not sure what's a link and what's not like all of a sudden it's something that like out of the 150 websites i'd been on in the day now there's one that looks different and now like it, it causes me to stay and go huh and then like i wonder if i can click this and like just start exploring and like to the point of like magazines i think that's really cool magazines used to be the magazines that didn't do the same thing mm. where like uh it wasn't just like and here's an op-ed like and now like here's a full like double page ad but it used to be a magazine where like glitter falls out onto your table or something right. ridiculous yeah like, there was a competitor to maxim back in the 90s that i don't remember it's one of those magazines you read when you're a high school boy but uh they would put lines of copy in like inside the fold Right. and like hide it in different places so mm. then it was about and they'd be funny and they'd be totally irreverent and obscure things and it would just be hidden so then you find yourself you already read the magazine but now you're going mm. and looking for those little things like yeah. one of them still stands out in my mind it was something about uh lining up your hats in order of size so it's like need a small hat there it is and then it was like too crazy and it was just it made no sense whatsoever but right. i loved it 16 year old mm. me thought it was brilliant you just gave me all right, we got to cut this part out. If you're, just, if, if you're making this uh, creativity magazine, you just give me a really great idea for what one of the uh, pages or not pages, I guess the like the episodes would be, whatever you want to call them, um, would be for the issues. Issues, that's the word, yeah. Would be for the technology one and all it would... Uh, um, like I imagine there's just a screenshot when you get to the page and it just says like the little uh, like in the Chrome menu where it says like open dev tools and like you do that and then in the console area where it like spits out like all the back end stuff that the the developers are looking at then it's just like a link to somewhere else and like it's a bit of like a breadcrumb where you hit like a first little site that's like a microsite that's like one of the articles which then has a hint at the bottom to how to get to the next one and something where it's like a story that you're following as opposed to just That'd like awesome. just like a like here's some content that we wrote for a right. thing like yeah it's yeah. like yeah here read this while you're bored right imagine hey, we're back on the podcast right yeah now. we're back uh okay <laughs> second there's no, break there's no signal <laughs> yeah imagine <laughs> if instead of drinking water you had to drink fire to live wait i like i was just thinking i like that that's the second time where it's not like we're gonna take a quick break but then it just suddenly goes wait are we back yet and then so there's just random stops for people <laughs> and then we come back and then there's that <laughs> can you Dude, repeat that because yeah, that's so that's hot take number five <laughs> so i was just it's thinking this. I was, I was literally just thinking this because i was looking at the bottom of our door here in, in the studio uh -huh. and to me it looks like little people with fires for heads yes um and they're all like, their arms are raised like, right. ah! Yeah, yeah. Oh, they remind me of those weird fire. little tiki babies with the colored hair. I forget oh, the what they trolls. were called. The trolls. trolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, and I was thinking, I was like... And know, that looks like things they're shooting down to yeah, put them out like of their misery. Geese coming down yeah. to, you know... To eat they have water them. in their mouths. Right. Right. <laughs> to put the fire out. Fireheads. And, and so I was thinking, I was like, imagine if instead of needing water to live, you had to drink fire. Mm -hmm. That'd be nuts. That'd be crazy. <laughs> that reminds me of... Uh, Jake and I were having a conversation recently about what would make a really good set of superheroes which had powers, but they were severely limited. Oh, okay. I don't want to talk about one of those heroes, though. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's many of them. We will skip there's over one. There's one hero that's like so NSFW. Yeah, we're going to skip yeah. over that one. But regardless of <laughs> that one, um, the idea of drinking fire, we were coming up with ideas for like superheroes you think of, but what's a power, like what's something debilitating where they have a power, but it's like, and that we were saying like the human torch, but he can just feel the fire all the time. <laughs> right. He's, so, he's, he's like in pain. So, like, yeah. So on his fire. he can go and like help people and like do this thing, but he has to be in like immense pain all the time to do it. Right. And like, so he's screaming the whole time. Like, so any like Marvel scene with the human torch would just be him yelling right. at the top of his lungs. Like Iceman can turn to ice and, but when right. he does, he's solid and he right. can't move. He can't he becomes yeah. like an ice yeah. an ice sculpture. Right. Or he can like do his thing, but then he's hypothermic for six weeks and just has to go through that. Like there's the, someone who can um turn invisible but only when he's not touching the ground and he can't fly or anything. So he just has he to just jump, jump up and, and down. And he turns invisible and yeah. he lands and he also, he's visible. All his clothes are visible. So, right. like, yeah. so like he's only invisible when he's naked and off the ground. Right, and so jumping. So like just the most ridiculous. I'd yeah, read like, this comic. But he would get picked up by uh, uh, the guy who can fly. fly but the, you can only uh, you can only fly or this this When you're flapping your arms really no. fast? No, no, no. You can only fly uh, as fast as you can run and jump. So you right. can fly at about like like three feet off the air at about like nine miles an hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, and you get exhausted as easily as you do when you're running. Right. So, like, it's your like, car goes up, running, like, like you can't fly for very long. Yeah, so exerts, this exerts team of superheroes, this guy who can only turn um, invisible, fully invisible when he's not wearing clothes, otherwise you can see his clothes, and only when he's in the air, he can be assisted by this guy who can fly, but not very high and right. not very fast and not for very long. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's like ways you could see this playing out where it works. Like the person who's invisible can like jump off of something and be invisible the whole time, but he has to like not hit the ground and die. So then like flying man could potentially catch him, but it's going to be exhausting. Like who's the super villain in this story? Uh, we haven't really come up with one. No, um, we haven't. we've only had people who are good. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good question actually. I'm right, trying so, to think of powers of supervillains. Well, um, that's maybe it's it's like uh, this might be some spoilers from the new Avenger movie. Have you seen the new oh, Avengers movie? We're yeah. not. No, if someone hasn't watched it yet, that's their fault. Okay, cool. Right. It's basically like I've Thor, like, but anytime he snaps, there's also a fifty percent chance of him dying. <laughs> so he can do anything by snapping his fingers, but he has a half chance that he instantly dies, and that's. I gotta wrap this up. Right. So, do we? You got a last hot hot take to wrap this up? My last hot take, and um, I wanted to hold on to that reference from the Matrix. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Way to bring it back. So the guy who invented the the version of Gmail that came after the basic HTML version of mm -hmm. Gmail, um, the one where mail would load on the page as it comes in, you didn't have to actually refresh the page. It used AJAX under the hood. Right. He wrote this article called Applied Philosophy, aka Hacking where he basically um, said that there's two rules to every system, the rules that they tell you and the actual rules of the system. Now, when you figure out what the actual rules are, that's when you can perform what people call the miracles. It's when you know how to bend the system to what you needed to do because you figured out how it really works and not just what the guidelines told you. And that's my final hot take. Nice. Corey, do you have cool. anything to add to that? Yeah, so I think uh, an interesting thing that um, we never quite touched on, but Jake kind of brought up my like history with philosophy. And, and one thing I kind of forgot to mention that I think is really interesting is um, some of my favorite writers in philosophy have a way of explaining things that are very um, either 
difficult to understand ideas because they're foreign. So like Eastern philosophy, like Zen Buddhism, Hinduism, like how do you explain something that uh, is only told through like stories um, or are just very hard to come to grips with because uh, they're very rigorous, like Western philosophy, like uh, get up to go do philosophy. And I think um, one of my favorite groups of writers who uh, interact with those uh, do it through uh, metaphor. And what I was thinking about is uh, that's also how I try and teach people things about technology that I'm working with uh, in a way where they can understand it faster. And to your, your question before about like, how do you teach people creativity? I think oftentimes a way to teach people anything is through metaphor. And I think that's really useful and, and like uh, we should do it more often. But I think oftentimes we try and explain like like we try and explain what the boat is without ever first saying the word boat. Um, and I think oftentimes the metaphor of the thing is a much better way to start to teach that. So, yeah, I think that's my random hot take on what nice. I went there. All right. Corey and Jake, thanks for uh, joining on the podcast. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. Uh, for anyone who enjoyed that, Corey and Jake's podcast will be out sometime soon it's unnamed and unrecorded as of now right yeah it's a it's a creative working title but that's actually like, uh, we don't have a working title yeah <laughs> yeah i wish i can come up with a really cool name hot uh, takes yeah i, I bet like there's takes. one that's called hot takes uh yeah, yeah there's definitely like hot, hot cakes hot cakes hot jakes hot jakes hot jakes uh, i don't know if that works but um you know I think I think the name will be revelatory. Right. Well, drinking fire. No, that's the name. Oh, drinking fire. Oh, wait, but before we go, while this is still rolling, I do need to ask about the hairdresser past. Oh, um, so that was <laughs> this. An, this is hot take number seven. That was an exaggeration. So um, earlier in Slack today, uh, one of our coworkers, a previous um, interviewee on this podcast, Adam Sofer mentioned that I once went to hairdressing school. I just want to clarify that he's it, exactly right. It was not hairdressing school. I went to a technical high school for my first three years of high school. Oh, that's one of those uh, real quick. There's a really good joke Louis C.K. says where he says, um, we tell kids when they're young, you can do anything you want. You can be whatever you want. And then they go to a technical school and we say, you could be eight things. <laughs> so yeah, I went to a technical school where I think there were about eight different vocations or trades to pick from. Right. From like hairdressing to uh, or cosmetology to um, to automobiles, like fixing automobiles. In your freshman year, they have you go through every different um, vocation that they have to offer because they want to make sure you're picking the one that you like, the one that like really resonated with you the most. Um, so I did have to go into cosmetology and learn how to cut hair, do nails, and French braid. That was the end. I don't I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but that was the only vocation class that I I actually failed. Um, but I could I could French braid hair to uh, enough to probably get a passing grade. Uh, I just I couldn't do the nails. Like I was very poor at uh, pushing the uh, what are these called? Cuticles. 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 Yeah, I, I could not like push, cuticles. I couldn't I couldn't push them back well enough. Um, you know, I was pretty poor working with the mannequin. So that that is my explanation for what Sofer meant when he said I went to hairdressing school. Is I, I did have to spend a few months actually in the cosmetology department at the school I went to. Well, you failed, but you have greater hair. It paid off. Yeah, that's from years of training. That's <laughs> personal training on myself. <laughs> All right. So that's it. Thanks, boys. Thank yeah, you. Of course. Thank you.